it was a very specific goal. And because of that, I worked very hard and I wake up and I'm excited to go to work and be around creative people. And I wake up and I'm excited to do the things that I love. Hello, all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there. That is Sarah White, an old friend who's a screenwriter now in Los Angeles who's been working hard for the last 15 years, 20 years, trying to design the life that she's always dreamed of. She's getting closer and closer by the day. She's getting to do what she loves. As you hear, she goes to work every day excited, and that's a beautiful thing. And I was really happy to have her on and tell her story. Remember to please pull out your phone right now and subscribe on whatever podcast player you're listening to this on. Commenting also helps me tremendously. So please leave a comment letting everybody know what the podcast is about and what you like about it. Remember, if you have a story that you feel you want to share with the world, please reach out. I'd love to hear from fans, misfits, and rejects. Or if you have a friend that you think might be a good fit for the show, please reach out. You can do that via my website and I'll leave a link below this episode that you can find me easily at. And please remember, you can donate to Misfits and Rejects as well on Patreon.com, which is a platform for content creators like myself to have their fans reach out and give a monthly donation. So nothing is expected, but all is appreciated. So if you feel like giving a donation, that would be awesome. But with all that said, I'm very happy to have you today, and I hope you enjoy this episode with Sarah White. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners... A lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I have an old friend, an old friend I connected with recently at our 20-year high school reunion, somebody who's always been a light when you become part of her presence, a part of her being, somebody who has inspired me through her stories of travel and upbringing, and somebody who just is still on the path grinding. You know, she's somebody who has accomplished a lot, but probably not quite where she wants to be yet. And I thought it'd be a really relative story to just bring on for all the people out there like myself who are still pushing and striving to design that life that they've always wanted. So with that said, Sarah White, welcome to the show. Oh, Chapin, thank you. It's awesome to be on. It's such an honor. I love oh, your show. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, it was fun the other night. We, we got weird. We had a lot of drinks <laughs> and a lot of uh, probably unnecessary conversations a lot of stuff came out of my mouth that i kind of regretted the next day but not too much i, I i'm I pulled sure a back. lot of stuff came out that i regretted if i had remembered it <laughs> it's funny like you could see the eyes of everybody like everyone was like cross-eyed and lit and i think everyone felt that uncomfortable little bit of pressure that just put them over the edge yeah that's beautiful that's a beautiful thing <laughs> nonetheless though, it was fun i had a good time i'm glad i did it Super reminiscing fun. with a lot of a lot of folks i mean facebook is good though these days like it kind of keeps you up to date with everybody yeah, it's it's good. It's also funny because, you know, you see everybody's best selves that they curate on Facebook. So it's nice to see the real deal. Yeah, what you know, happened to everybody? Really <laughs> funny is somebody brought up everybody looks so good, you know, like yeah. I'm so impressed and somebody else turned in and she's like, "Yeah, because everyone who didn't feel like they look good didn't show up." And I was like, "That's, oh, exactly that's right. so interesting. I never would have considered that." Yeah. Of course, well, it's Newport. Fair so that, enough. That's the top consideration. Fair enough. 
That is true. I mean, I, you know, you and I both grew up on, I mean, didn't grow up on the same street, but you did move to the same street as me uh, around, yeah. I think, 12 years old and totally different life circumstances for you. We touched upon that, you know, over the years of trials and tribulations that you went through with your family and whatnot and how it's kind of made you the woman who you are today. You know, would you just kind of give us a, a brief background on, on your life growing up and what it was like? I mean, I know you, you kind of helped raise your brother and sister and you, you lived with your grandma. You mind mm-hmm. sharing that experience with the audience? Yeah. So um, I was raised in Newport Beach, same as you, um, which is a really strange place for people that um, have uh, progressive values and <clears throat> aren't motivated by money, or at least that's how I felt growing up. Um, I grew up like you said, I was raised by my grandma. Um, and also my, my mother, uh, my mother was a single mother, but my mother passed away when, <clears throat> when I was a junior in high school. Um, my father was not around. And then I have a brother and a sister. They have a different father. Uh, their father was not around. So because my mom had great tastes in dads, when she passed away, my grandma was luckily willing to take us in. Um, so we went to live with her in her little apartment, uh, which is right near the fairgrounds in Costa Mesa and lived there. All I think we moved, I moved there freshman year in high school. So lived there all through high school. And then, um, my brother and sister and I shared a room in that little, there's a two bedroom apartment. So we shared a room. Um, and then I moved out and then they shared the room and then eventually my brother moved out and then my sister finally got her own room. So, you know, it was a, it was a funny kind of dichotomous situation because where we grew up, there's so much wealth and it's, it's kind of the thing that's valued above all, or at least that's how I felt growing up, what you drive, what you wear. And so going home to a tiny apartment um, and sharing a room with your younger brother and sister is definitely an interesting way to grow up in that place. Uh, and it's funny because I notice nowadays, you know, I always tell people, I'm like, Newport's so fucked up. It, it's spawned, like there's shows about how fucked up it is. <laughs> you know, Arrested Development is, is a real, that's, that's a, that's based on our hometown. <laughs> and it's, it's like that in yeah, some ways. Yeah, the OC. Yeah, the OC was, you know, before it was the OC and, you know, it was just noops or whatever people called it. But, uh, I mean, it's just, it's just a fucked up place and I hated it. I like, I can't emphasize how much I hated it growing up there. I just really, really despised it and couldn't wait to get away. And it's funny because, you know, so many people talk about how, I was realizing too at our reunion, so many people, like, I would say, I feel like 80 people, 80% of people didn't leave there and think it's paradise. And I think it's a prison. Mm. It's, a, it's a mental prison for people, <laughs> but I, I get it. It's beautiful. And, um, and there is wealth and there is yeah. ways to make wealth. If you are somebody who wants to do that in your life, you know, you can definitely fit in yeah. with the crowd that, is, is making lots of money. And if you are able know. to fit in, then you can also benefit from those networks and connections. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what they do though. Like, I think it's just, is it 
is it real estate or yeah, I think I, real I, estate? You know, there are yeah. a lot of our, our class. I think a lot of people um, in general in this area were entrepreneurs or are entrepreneurs yeah. and made a lot of money in the past. Cause there is a lot of, I think old money here as well. So I think you get a combination, but it all kind of comes from a, a wealthier background. I mean, yeah. and then to be fair, like a lot of our friends weren't wealthy, you know, yeah, totally. Um, and, and it's absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, and a lot of them who weren't wealthy still stayed and are, are reaping the benefits from the area and have progressed their life financially to an, an area that they might not have had the benefit of having when they were kids, you know? So there are some, a lot of pros and cons, but I do relate to what you're saying with that feeling of just not connecting with the environment and yeah. the value systems and really wanting to get out. So going to, you know, us spending our high school years together and, you know, sharing a lot of good moments. Where'd you leave? Where'd you leave to? Cause I mean, that's kind of when we, everyone went their separate ways and like, I mean, I hadn't seen most of these people in 20 years. So what happened? Yeah. So I, let's see, right after I graduated, um, I think my, my first taste of kind of the rest of the world or, or first taste of like going out into the world, I should say, is I, uh, two of our classmates, one who we both love and know Shannon, um, we had saved up money through high school, you know, through just different odd jobs and whatever. And, um, we went to Europe for a few months and backpacked around Europe. And that was my first introduction into the world outside of Newport and the freedom that that brought. Um, and that was a really exciting time for me. I, we were super young. I, I don't know why our parents were, my grandma, I, you know, looking back, I never really asked her things. I just kind of told her things and I was like, oh, I bought these. I went and bought the tickets without even telling her, <laughs> just bought the tickets to Europe. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to Europe for a few months. And, you know, when you, when you buy it yourself, I always thought I was like, well, when I do it myself and she can't say no, but we were young and we were only like 17 and that was crazy, but super fun. And then, um, I went to a uh, college in, at UC Santa Barbara and studied theater there for four years. I studied, um, acting specifically and then graduated with my BFA my super dependable BFA, that's what everybody wants to get, um, degree in acting. And that's where I ended up right after, right after high school. And then, yeah, so that you just, did you discover your acting passion in high school or was that something that was, cause I mean, I don't remember you doing drama or anything like that. Yeah, no, I didn't, you know, I was really in, I don't know if you know this, I was super into art in high school. That was actually something I didn't mention in my, my, uh, diatribe about Newport is that I was really into the arts and being creative and it wasn't a very um, safe environment for that. I didn't feel like at the time it wasn't encouraged. It wasn't an environment that really encouraged the arts. And um, so I always felt kind of weird and <laughs> I got this is such a double-edged sword. Like in our, in our <laughs> senior superlatives, I got most unique, which is basically <laughs> just, a way of saying you're fucking weird. Um, and I was, I was a fucking weirdo probably, but, uh, I was really, I, I've always had this kind of thing in me where I knew I, if I get a seed of an idea or I know what I want, then I just kind of go for it. And with acting, I 
knew that I wanted to, to act in high school, but I never did high school drama because I was under the impression that that um, wasn't really for me and wasn't really a place that I wanted to kind of develop that skill and that I wanted to develop it in college. And so that was my plan that I was going to go to college and then start and, you know, major in acting or whatever I could do, take classes or whatever. And then, um, let's touch upon that real quick before you yeah. continue. Like, I mean, cause you kind of imply you had a plan. I mean, mm -hmm. so you had a plan to go to college, study acting and your plan was to then what? Yeah, I had a, so I had a plan. My plan with my family, you know, I'm the first person in my family to go to college. Um, education, I, I really liked school from a very young age. And the reason for that was I had a lot of stuff going on at home and it was a place that I could be, could throw a lot of my energy. And I think um, I felt validated at school and I could do well there. And I had kind of worked out what the system was. And if I do this, if I do A, then B will happen and B was achieving, you know, good grades. And I figured if I just kept going down that path, my ticket out of my hometown was college. Um, and so, you know, with my being raised by my grandma, my grandma didn't go to college and it wasn't that she didn't encourage it because she certainly did, but she didn't really know how to foster that in me. So she just, kind of let me do my own thing. And I think because of that, um, she never also never said no to anything that I wanted said that I wanted to do. And so my plan, uh, to be an actor, you know, when I was really young, I used to do, I when I say really young, like truly like seven years old, um, my aunt got headshots done or maybe even younger five maybe five five to seven i think every single kid in newport we all had headshots like i had headshots. yeah too. of course <laughs> and i did i did a lot of commercials as a kid and so i think in my mind it was like oh like this is just something I, you can do and it you know it was never i never thought that i wasn't gonna do it i i didn't know how i was gonna do it but i i assumed that i would find a way which is generally what I have to do for any of these, the many dreams that I've had uh, in my life. Let's I touch just upon that, that real quick, though, like yeah. the, the headshot thing, because I think it kind of gives the audience a better understanding of where we grew up. Like, I can't think of one friend who didn't have headshots. <laughs> That's so crazy. Yeah. Like, every yeah. single parent had their kid in either, like, a, with a modeling agency yeah. or, like, I remember my dad driving me to L.A. to to read for these commercials, I couldn't read. <laughs> like I remember standing in there with these four execs for like a Skippy's commercial mm -hmm. and like bumbling over these words. Like I couldn't even read. Like I literally, I still this day struggle with it. And like, like that's crazy to me that that's how this environment is, you know? Well, it's so funny that you say that because my mom didn't know that my aunt had sent or got it, had taken these, had these pictures taken and then sent them to an agency and so my mom got this call from this agency and my mom was a real straightforward, real down to earth person. She's like, what the fuck, who the fuck are you? And what are you talking about? And they're like, we got your kids pictures and we want her to come in for this casting call, which, you know, we're so different then. Um, 
so what my mom thought was, you know, when she figured out what had ha- what had happened, my aunt had sent them in. She was like, oh, this is a way that we can maybe make some extra cash. So she was like, all right, I'm down. Um, so the thing was, you know, you had all these crazy stage parents and my mom never even knew what we were going for because she was like, didn't prepare and, you know, only half paid attention. So I would show up for these auditions and these crazy stage kids, you know, with their parents outside, you know, telling them how to say their name and how to rehearse and rehearsing lines. And then I vividly remember one time going for, I think it was a, it was for Disney and it was, they were doing some sort of commercial for small world, like the ride. Mm. And so they went around this table and there were all these little kids, little kids. We must've been like six years old and everybody had been coached by their creepy parents. And they were like, you know, what is your favorite ride? Little Jimmy and little Jimmy's like, my favorite ride is it's a small world. And then they get to me and I'm like, I don't like small world. I like pirates of the Caribbean. (laughs) So needless to say, I didn't get that job. And, uh, many others because my mom never coached me. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of a, I remember it's kind of like getting called down to the dinner table. Actually, my sister and I were playing upstairs and whenever we got called to the dinner table, it wasn't a good thing. Oh, like the, shit. The, our parents had a, had a discussion yeah. that they needed to then bring us into the loop on. And so I just remember walking on the stairs just with my stomach and my throat sitting down, just like, Oh God, oh, we're just in so much trouble. And, uh, my mom's like, so your dad and I have been discussing it and we think that this is going to be a good opportunity for you to maybe as a young person, maybe make some money for your future. Um, so we're gonna, you know, put, sign you up with an agency and <laughs> this is the process. And of like, course. I just remember thinking like, what are you talking about? Like, not that I, I just didn't get it. Like, what do you mean? Yeah. We're going we're gonna to get these pictures taken of us. And then we're going to go on these auditions. And like, we were, we were kind of sold that we were just going to be modeling. So all we had to do is like take pictures and smile. And then yep. the next thing I know, I'm like terrified every single time to drive to LA. Cause I have to read and I can't read. Oh, <laughs> little Chapin. Oh, but I mean, when you think about that, there's not a lot, I think places in this country or this That's world where thing. every single kid has an agent and headshots. Oh, that's so weird and so weird. But then the weirdest part is that I wanted to do that willingly. <laughs> so and that's yeah, beautiful so. though. I mean, that's okay that you cultivated and knew that about yourself from a young age because I mean, that's kind of what this is about, you know, people identifying what they're really interested in doing and then walking out into the world and trying to achieve that, which is what you've been doing for the last like 20 years. Yeah. You know, time. and like I'd like to touch upon, you know, the various steps that you've taken to get to where you're at. But I mean, just so the audience can really know what we're getting at, like Sarah is an awesome writer and she writes shorts. She's in LA. She works on a TV show. Like she has definitely designed her life in the exact way she wants. It's taken a long time to get to where she is. There's been a lot of curves, a lot of hard pushes, but it's like, and she's still not there yet. I mean, she's still barely getting by financially. So. That's the ghetto bird. So you. <laughs> Where are you sitting Still right not now, Sarah? There yet. Let's Still look, in let's, the barrio. Let's look at, yeah, exactly. There we go. Let's tell the audience about where yeah. you're at right now. Um, I'm on my balcony in my little studio apartment in Silver Lake, which is actually a very nice area. Um, and I'm just looking out at Koreatown and sitting on my porch as the ghetto birds fly by. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, let's kind of, let's give the audience some perspective on, so you, you went to theater school 
and, yeah. and then there's this giant gap between you actually making it to LA and, and now, and, and there was a transition along the way. So I'll let you take over and, and kind of feed us through the, yeah. uh, the steps. Okay. Yeah. So I went to college, um, and wanted to go, wanted to be in this, um, the UCSB has a, uh, BFA program for acting, which not a lot of the UC, I don't think, I think only U- UCLA is the only other one that has it. Um, which means that you just, it's like a conservatory program within the university. So I really wanted to do that and had, you have to audition for it. And it was one of those things where all the kids that had auditioned had all been doing exactly what you were talking about. They had all been doing theater in high school and, um, and I had not. So I've always been kind of the underdog in these situations. And so I arrived at the audition and everybody was talking about all the things uh, that they had already been in and I'd never been in anything. And I ended up getting into the program, um, which at the time was very exciting. And, um, and then going through that in college and it was a really cool time of just doing a lot of plays and learning about movement and voice and acting in general. Um, and then by the end of that, I was kind of worn out cause I had done a lot of plays, I think a play every quarter and then, um, just, I had done a lot of shit. And so I wanted to travel cause I, I love traveling and, um, a lot of people, they were really pushing us to, in the BFA program, they were really pushing us to go to, to get our MFA right away. And I always thought that was kind of strange because, you know, at that time I was only 21 and I was like, it feels like I should go out and do something. And so what I ended up doing is um, going to Taiwan uh, to teach English and then not liking Taiwan that much at the time and um, skipping from Taiwan over to Thailand was like $400 in my pocket. And that was with uh, my boyfriend at the time. So we had $400 between us. Um, and we ended up going to Thailand and teaching English in Thailand for about six months. How long were you in Taiwan though before you bailed? Uh, about a month. Oh, really? So it was that quick of a decision? You're like, this yeah, place it was sucks. a quick decision. Yeah. Well, you know what? It was less about this. I mean, yes, there was. It was because of money. We just we'd only taken eight hundred bucks for the whole six months because we just thought we were going to arrive and get jobs immediately. And um, I ended up doing like some fucking hilarious acting two acting jobs in Taiwan and, uh, that were really like super funny. And then, uh, I ended up doing acting jobs in Thailand too, but that's a whole other story. So went to Thailand and then. Where were you teaching in Thailand? I taught it. There's a university there called Chulalongkorn university and they have. Is that in Bangkok? It's in Bangkok. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they have like a kids program kids language program. And that was the first, that was a trip because that was the first time I had ever been, um, you know, I, I had ever been like the odd man, you know, it's a dual class system really. And, and these kids that, that I was teaching were very wealthy and their parents were very wealthy and they were real assholes, these little kids, cause they saw me as a lower, a lower status than them. And, um, it was a very interesting way to learn about a culture through their education system. And, um, I, I just loved the experience so much and I was so happy that looking back, I'm so happy that I did that then because I was young and didn't have anything, you know, 
didn't have anything standing in my way at the time. This is perfect timing. What I love, though, is that you lasted six months on 800 bucks. <laughs> well, you know, and that's also funny because, you know, you're white and you're, uh, you know, a farang and they think that, you know, you have money. And I was making more money than, the, you know, 99% of Thai people, but I was still not making very much money. So I was making about 100 bucks a month. And, you know, that can go far. But I was still very poor, and because we were getting charged white person prices, but making very little money, so it was an interesting experience. It wasn't it wasn't the Thai experience that I think so many people have, where they go and they you know see the islands and they're like it's a magical place, and, and it is. It's a really incredible country with very rich history, but it was definitely a different experience to do it with little money and working. Um, so that, that was cool. I, I'm glad that I did that. And then, uh, hey, real quick though, yeah. um, you know, that having that experience being on the road, did you have any sort of like aha moments or, you know, contrasting your already established passion and drive to become an actress with, you know, the culture of Thailand and now, uh, a job teaching English, which is n- another exposure to a different type of job that you might yeah. have fallen in love with. Did you have any kind of moments where you're like, oh, I think I'd actually rather become this type of person and do this type of job in my life? Or was it always just so clear that like, once this is over, I'm going back and I'm really going to go for the whole acting gig? It was clear that I still wanted to do acting. You know, I, I, I got an agent while I was there and did two different commercials, um, very funny commercials, like basically like token whitey type stuff. Um, and then I did a play while I was there and all of it was super hilarious and weird. And you've seen lost in translation. I'm sure it's like, it was like that, you know, (laughs) it was just a very surreal experience. Um, I knew that I was going to go back. I always knew that it was a short lived thing and that I was going to go back and do that. But I will say that what that experience taught me is the kind of artist that I wanted to be, which was. I, I'm a very curious person by nature. And I think that's the, one of the things that I love about travel is the feeling that you can just, you, you have to let, you have to surrender and let, you don't have control. And it's a perfect metaphor for any type of art. If you want to be really good at it, sometimes you have to surrender yourself and, and just trust. And I think that travel for me has been a perfect way to better understand myself as an artist, as a writer, um, to understand that my, like, I never want personally want to live my life without adventure, curiosity and uncertainty, because I think that those are the things that really drive me and really drive the stories that I want to tell. And, um, I think that all the experiences that I had in Thailand and then later, you know, traveling a bunch of other places too, you know, when you travel, you just, especially when you travel on a budget or you travel, you know, you're, you're working somewhere else and you're not traveling as a, a normal tourist, that's when you really start to see things. And, and that's the kind of stuff that I'm drawn to in my own work too, is that authenticity and, um, that crazy shit. 
<laughs> I just want the crazy. I want to learn about the crazy shit. So yeah, I think that contrasting kind of experience really draws you into who you are and mm-hmm. and recognizing that you have certain strengths and you have certain weaknesses, and without those encounters, you never really get to know that. And and if if for example you land with four hundred bucks and you can't get via taxi to your hotel. Well, then how are you going to get there? You're going to go by bus. Yeah. You're going to walk. And if you're going to walk, you know, you're going to have to ask for directions at the local shop or however. If you take the bus, you have to ask the bus driver, the people on the bus, which then create these encounters that you then learn more about yourself that then you can take into, again, what you're just talking about, your craft. And you really start to shape and know your strengths and weaknesses and and are able to delve deeper into those, I think, moments where you can create because you have those contrasting experiences. Totally. I couldn't agree more. And I feel, you know, I don't know if you found this, but the things that I find easy or obvious, like, well, of course you want to go live in Nicaragua and run a surf camp, or of course you want to go live in Thailand and teach English for a little bit. I always find it. So I found this constant. I will get to this, but I lived in New York for a really long time and, I find it so interesting that it's often the people that have all the means in the world and they say, Oh my God, I wish I, I could do that. And you're like, well, you, you can, <laughs> you can do anything you want. That's the beauty of life. You could, you could go today. You have the means to do it. And I think that, you know, I never, I never want to stop feeling that way in, you know, whether it's travel or, telling stories. I just love, love the idea that, like you say, it's, it's, it's the beauty of, of those moments and, and authentic moments and chasing that. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, so yeah, please go on. Yeah. So then, uh, let's see. So then I, uh, came back and the idea was, I I was with somebody at the time who was also, um, doing theater. He was a theater director And we made the decision. We knew that we wanted to go to New York and it was for the very stereotypical thing of like real actors go to New York. And if you want to be a movie star, you go to LA. But truly, I think that, um, I think that I just didn't want to go to LA right away because I had been kind of scarred, whether it was real or imagined, I'd been kind of scarred by growing up in Southern California and I needed to put something between that. I didn't know this at the time, but I needed to put some space and time between myself and here. Um, what we decided to do rather than go straight to New York was we wanted to kind of challenge ourselves with a smaller city. And my best friend lived in, in San Francisco at the time, Shannon again. Um, and I was like, let's go to San Francisco for like a year and just learn how to navigate a city because we had just moved back from Bangkok, learn how to navigate a smaller city and, you know, pick a very manageable goal and then see how we do with that. And this became kind of, um, I would look back later and think like, wow, that was a really smart, it was a really good thing that I, I did early on. And I wish I had have applied that to situations later because I moved to San Francisco and I wanted to work at this one theater. And it was something, it was so random. It was like, I love Sam Shepard, who's this brilliant playwright and actor. Um, I love him and I loved his plays and he got his start at this theater in San Francisco called magic theater. 
And I wanted to work at the Magic Theater. It was like, I just wanted to work there because Sam Shepard had worked there. And so I was like, okay, in a year, like this year that I'm in San Francisco, I, I want to do a show at the Magic Theater. That was my goal. And it was a very, it was a very specific goal. And because of that, I worked very hard at making it happen. So I started, this is honest God's truth, I started off and I went to the Magic Theater and um, I was like, I know I'm new to town and I just want to, wondering if you guys had any, you know, jobs available, like sweeping the floor or doing anything. And they're like, well, you can, we have a job opening in subscription sales, which was the fucking worst. You cold call people and you know, nobody likes to get called and you call them and ask them if they want to donate money to the theater or buy a subscription. And so I did that for like three months. And then while I was doing that, I, you know, eventually kind of snuck myself into, into the casting person's office and was like, Hey, you know, I just want to introduce myself. I, my name is Sarah and, um, you know, what I would love to audition for any upcoming shows. And at that time, it's funny cause I look back and I hadn't been, I hadn't been beaten up yet. And so I was really, I was filled with confidence and is the confidence of youth and the confidence of just not having, you know, the shit kicked out of you with life. And I think about that now because I can't believe that I just kind of walked into someone's office and was like, yeah, I'm ready to audition for you. Cause I would never do that now, even though I should, but, um, I just, I felt very confident in my ability and what I could offer. And so this woman took my, my headshot resume and she's like, Oh, thanks. You know, I'll let you know if, if anything comes around. And then, um, my boyfriend at the time ended up getting a job in that theater as well. We had the same goal. So he ended up working in the shop and then became the production manager. So he was building sets and now he was just around. And so he hired me to paint. There's two theaters in this. There were two theaters at the time. He hired me as a painter. I didn't know how to paint, but he taught me how to paint. So I painted these theaters and um, I don't know what they paid me. Like it was a lot of money for me at the time. Um, probably like 12 bucks an hour or something. And so again, I was just kind of around. So now I had moved from selling, trying to sell subscriptions to being a painter. And then somebody eventually came at that casting director came back and she's like, Oh, aren't, aren't you an actor? And I said, I, I, yeah, I am. And she invited me to audition for the general auditions for the season. Um, which wasn't really that big of a deal, but for me at the time it was a huge deal. And so I auditioned for that. And then from that, I got called in to audition for the first show of their season and got called back and I made it to, it was between myself and another girl for this role. And I remember the director was like, you know, we can't cast her because she's too green, meaning me. And so I took that as a challenge. I was like, okay, well now like, I have to somehow get cast so that I'm no longer a, a green actor. And so then the next show I auditioned for the next show and became um, an understudy for a role. And then I auditioned for the next show after that. And then finally the third show I ended up getting cast and it was such a <laughs> rewarding testament to just perseverance 
And I remember thinking like, oh, this is just what you do. You just show up and you fucking work really hard and eventually something happens. <laughs> and I think because it was such a small city and because it was a, such a specific goal, I was able to, to make that goal a reality. And it was really rewarding. Um, you don't have to undermine your achievement with, I think it was just such a small city. I mean, that's a huge accomplishment. Like you said, you set your mind to something and you accomplish yeah. it that you can I think do in anything in life. Yeah, I think I think now that I look back I'm like, you know, it's it's I'm I'm applying that same logic to things in my life now. But but what ended up happening is that um after that then you know I kind of achieved that and then the next step was that we were going to move to New York. And you know, cuz that's where real actors go. Real actors go to New York and um we Move with again very little money. I think you know we had a a sublet set up and the sublet was so fucked up. It was like this guy, this apartment in mid in Hell's Kitchen, and he was going to India for a year and a half. So my ex and I were going to rent this place for a year and a half. It came with two cats and all this dude's shit, and this place was fucking disgusting. We'd never seen it. We just arrived and we're like okay, we're here and now we have to take care of this dude's two cats and live amongst all his dirty shit. And we arrived in, in the winter. Uh, I think this is around 2002 and, or 2003, 2003, maybe 2004. Uh, we arrived in the winter and I'd never experienced a winter. And within two months, our relationship had completely crumbled and I had no job and like it was just a fucking disaster within two months I was like what have I done I've just moved across country with this person now we're no longer together and I have somehow now inherited this entire apartment and these two cats and I have to pay this whole rent by myself and I don't know anybody and there was a point um where and this is a honest to fucking God, true story. I had $2 to my name. I had two bucks and I don't have parents. So I didn't have anybody to call. And I was like, I've got $2 and I, I don't have, you know, I needed to get a job. And so it was the winter time. And I remember, um, the subway was $2 and a slice of pizza was $2. And I was like, I, I don't know what to do. I can either eat or I can buy a subway pass because I was going to um, go, I was living in, like I said, living in Hell's Kitchen. And then I had a job interview for a bartending position down in the West Village and I'd never bartended before. And I was like, okay, so let's see how this goes. So I decided, I, I was like, I better use the two bucks for the subway because I don't want to be late for, for my interview. And so I went down to the subway and there was a Metro card on the floor and I slid it and it was an unlimited pass, which is like over a hundred dollars. And I remember in that moment thinking like, this is going to be okay somehow. I don't know how, and I don't know, you know, how it's all going to work out, but somehow it's going to work out. Now I've got a subway pass for the whole month and I can go buy the slice of pizza and hopefully I'll get this job tonight. And that's exactly what happened. So ended up getting that job and working in some shit bar for a few years and then working in a bunch of other bars. And, um, the whole time that I was bartending in New York, 
I was using that money because you can make a lot of money bartending in New York. And so I had started making money for the first time. And um, I was using that money to pay for classes. So I was taking tons of acting classes and I was getting new headshots and I was just really in the grind of trying to be an actor in New York. And, and that went for a long time. And it was, well, I would say I was super dedicated to the idea of being an actor for a solid four years, which is a long time before I started to lose my momentum. And I mean, it was a fucking grind. I was working at this place in the same place in the West Village. And I mean, every I worked every Friday and Saturday night for two and a half years. I never had a night off every Friday and Saturday night. And then I worked, you know, other shifts, shitty shifts, too. But um, all of that money that I was making, you know, I was basically buying myself an education for, you know, an acting education. But it was such late hours. So, you know, I wouldn't get out of the bar because bars close at 4 a.m. So I wouldn't get out of the bar until 6. I wouldn't be in bed until 8. Then I would have to get up and go to classes and do it. So it was just, it was really taxing on my body. And I, I didn't fall fall into the traps that so many people do of like, I wasn't getting fucked up, you know, every night. And I wasn't living the bartender life, um, which is really easy to do. Because you just, it's hard. That That's a hard, it's a hard job. And it's hard in New York because it's busy and you're just, it's so much output of energy to maintain your dreams while doing that grind. Um, yeah, so it was just a real, it was, it, you know, I, I realized pretty quick why New York was challenging. You know, it was just a challenge to keep focus. And the exact opposite of the situation that I had in San Francisco where I was laser focused and only wanted to work in this one place. And so it was very easy for me to just go in and kind of state what I wanted to do and work towards that. Once I got to New York, I didn't know what I wanted to do. There was infinitely many places to put my energy and infinitely many places, you know, I wanted to work and theaters that I wanted to be a part of and, um, places that I wanted to take classes and artists that I admired and, I started to lose focus. It was really easy to do because I was tired and, you know, just trying to make money to survive. Um, and also I started to just feel scattered and, um, tired. So around the fourth year of living there, I had been working so hard to, to get an agent. And then I finally got an agent and, you know, agent's job is to send you out on ideally auditions where you can make, make some money. And, um, she started sending me out on commercial auditions and I think it was about the third audition. And I was sitting in this room and I was with all these other girls. Oh, it was for like a Tide commercial or some bullshit. And, um, you could tell that all the girls were sizing themselves up, comparing themselves to everyone else in the room, including myself. It was like, you know, am I pretty enough? Am I skinny enough? Am I this enough? 
And I just had this moment where I was like, this isn't for me. I, I, my life will not be defined by a tide commercial. Like if this is the, the apex, what I'm, you know, this is what you're, you're hoping for as an actor is to get those kind of commercials that sustain you so that you can get other gigs. But, you know, in the meantime, it's kind of a bread and butter type thing. I was like, I, I can't, I can't do this. This isn't, this isn't actually what I want anymore. And it took me a few years and I'm not even kidding you, a few more years to come to terms with that choice because I had been so, um, I had, I had defined my whole identity around being an actor for so long and to feel that maybe that's not what I wanted to do anymore was really scary. Let's talk and, about that in depth yeah. actually, cause that's kind of, you know, a portion of what this show is about, which is, yeah, having that identity of say a professional where you get mm -hmm. up, you're a lawyer, you worked hard to become a lawyer. You were passionate about it. You are now one of the best litigation lawyers, say in Southern California, but secretly you don't like conflict like in you know <laughs> our last last episode yeah. we found that out from liz like she was great at being a lawyer but she hated conflict so why'd she yeah. choose this career and path and like but then you know shutting that all down to go after what you want which for her was to go live on this small island off the coast of yeah. venezuela and like kite surf you know like how awesome. does somebody come to that point rationalize it and internalize it and then make that first step like what was it like for you um, it was terrifying for, uh, for many reasons. One, I wasn't in any position like, you know, being a litigation attorney where I was financially stable and in a good, you know, in a place where I could launch something new off of the money that I had saved or, or you know, um, relationships that I had built. I was in a very uncertain place in, you know, I, you know, failed to mention this, but always kind of cobbling together like many jobs. So I was bartending and then doing other jobs on the side of whether it's um, actually that came later. So I was bartending at many different places at first. Um, so th at first there was the kind of the existential dilemma of I'm not doing what I'm meant to be doing, which I think so many artists have when they're, you know, have to have a survival career. So then to have the thing that you think you're meant to be doing now, suddenly, maybe that's not the thing that I'm meant to be doing, but I know I'm not meant to be doing the other thing either. I, that was really rough for me because I feel like so many of my friends who ended up giving up acting, it's, I always laugh because I feel like so many people that I know just ended up becoming sommeliers, which is like, how, like you just you pretend that you to know wine. To yeah, like, you just love wine. Like, that's just so funny to me. But, you know, it's kind of a logical next step, I guess, when you're in that, when you're in, you know, the hospitality industry or you're bartending or whatever, and you're like, well, fuck this. I don't want to do this anymore. Now I'm going to be a sommelier. For me, that wasn't even an option because I guess the thing that has always driven me is I am, like, at the core, really creative. And so I don't feel right if I can't be doing something with that. Um, and I don't, I didn't know at the time what to do. And it was, I think that was around 20, age 27. And there were some rough fucking years in there. I mean, just some real <laughs> shitty times. And, um, 
just severe anxiety, severe depression. I mean, bad. Did you ever get help? Did you ever get a network of people around you to help? Oh, yeah, I mean, I've, yes, I've been, a, I've been, I've suffered from agoraphobia. I've like all kinds of stuff. Yeah. I've been to therapy most of my life and, um, and I just, I feel like there was just so much going on because there was this thing inside of me that I, I knew that I wanted to do, but now I was questioning what that was. So it was very difficult. I didn't feel like I, I knew the next step. So it wasn't like I had, was like, Oh, this isn't for me anymore. This is for me now. It was like, this isn't for me anymore. I don't think, and I don't know what the fuck to do. And I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, and I'm usually okay with living in uncertainty because I think if you choose any sort of artistic path, you have to be okay with that. Um, but this was a different kind of uncertainty. And so around that time I had started, um, I've always loved to write and it's, I used to joke when I was a kid that, you know, oh, if acting doesn't work out, I'll just be a writer, which is like really, really great backup career. <laughs> um, like equally hard, if not worse backup career. So I, I've always loved writing and always, um, and I've always been a voracious reader and writer. And I just never thought about writing as a profession. I, I didn't think that I, I could do that. That seemed like, you know, something for extremely educated people or whatever I had t told myself at the time. So around the time that I was like, I don't think, I don't know if I want to pursue acting anymore. Um, I started writing a play and I was writing this play and knowing myself and knowing that my worst enemy is myself. I put myself in a playwriting workshop, um, with this amazing guy named Patrick Lillis, who, uh, works with this theater company that I love it's called Labyrinth theater company in, in New York. And so I was in this playwriting workshop and started working this play and it was to date probably the most terrifying thing I've ever done artistically. I was so terrified to have my work read every week because it was a very vulnerable thing to write something and then have people read the actors, read the words out loud. It was the opposite side of the coin that I'd been, you know, playing with for a long time. Um, and because I was so scared of it, I loved it. <laughs> so, cause I love things that scare me. So, I was writing, I was writing this, like, it was a really like super dramatic play about rape because that's, you know, what you do if you're writing drama, you write rap about rape, of course. Um, and then my teacher, who's amazing, I remember he took me aside one day and he's like, you know, I have a real, oh, I forget exactly how he phrased it, but he said, my only problem with this play is that I want to direct it. And I, and I thought that he was maybe like making fun of me or I didn't quite know what to make of it. And, um, long story short, we ended up doing a workshop production of it. Uh, you know, and it was just, it was an incredible experience to be able to see, to workshop and have actors act these words that I had written for my first, the first thing I'd ever written. Um, 
It was a really cool. It was a really cool experience. That's amazing. Good for you. I mean, because at this point, you've written books. I mean, you. Do you, you have, yeah, that? yeah. It's it was it was just that was such a that was such a cool moment because it was I think a moment that I was like, I think there's something there's something to this, and I think the thing that I realized was that it was something that I could do every day. You know, you don't need anybody to give you a job. I mean, you do, of course, need people to give you a job for writing if you want to make a living out of it. But for acting, you have to get cast in something. It's like a fucking impossible task of artistry because you can't do it all the time. I think that's why so many actors are so insecure and unhappy because they don't get to do their shit all the time. But with writing, I could do it every day. I didn't have to wait for anybody. I could write whatever I wanted. I could write poems. I could write short stories. I could write whatever. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna put some energy into this and, and see where it goes. And so I, I started researching just like how to be a writer. It was something as simple as like Googling, like how to be a writer <laughs> and looking for any kind of opportunities that I could get. And so the first opportunity um, that I was interested in was now, mind you, now I'm 30 and I'm, or I'm approaching 30 and I'm starting to think like, okay, I'm, I'm heading in a different direction. And I didn't know exactly where the direction was going, but I, but I could feel that internal thing happening. I knew that there was something, there was a shift happening. Um, and so I took an internship or I shouldn't say I took it. They, I was offered thankfully because they're wonderful people, uh, offered an internship to work for a startup travel magazine they were going to do like a quarterly magazine and it was just these really cool young people um who had got an angel investor uh, invested in this company and it's called off track planet and they were basically just creating content for um lifestyle travelers and adventure travelers and as you know we we called them when we were going backpackers people you know young young people that want to travel and I was like, oh, this is awesome. So I started an uh, internship with them. And that led me to start writing for them, a paid writing gig for them, and then a paid editing gig for them. So I was editing articles for the magazine and then hiring writers. And um, it was really exciting and fun. Um, and also a lot like acting in the sense that this particular um, magazine had a very specific tone, which I think it was before Buzzfeed, but it was very like douchey Buzzfeed tone where it's like 10 places to get laid in Greece. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, this is so fun. I get to kind of channel the voice of like a, a douchey 18 year old boy. And that's super fun. And I had a great, great time doing that. And with them, uh, they were offered, I don't know exactly how it came about, but a publisher approached them and then they were offered a book deal. So, uh, and then they asked me to work with them on that. So I be, I was a co-writer of two books with them, which was one, just like a general travel guide and then, um, off track planet guide to Brooklyn. Cause I lived in Brooklyn for a really long time and that was cool. And it was like, 
it happened, you know, within a year and I was able to, you know, get an authorship credit under my belt. And, um, I started feeling like, okay, you know, it's just, I, I never feel like <laughs> these things. I never really take the time to be like, yeah, I'm really proud of myself. It's more of like, okay, that was cool. So how, like, what's the next thing? <laughs> and, um, with that, the next thing was I just started curating this kind of, I cobbled together this writing career and I was writing plays and I was writing, uh, I, because I loved writing plays, I was writing plays and then I was writing, um, content for a bunch of people, which kind of parlayed into doing like social media management. Cause it's really, it's just kind of creating content. So I was managing social media and doing marketing for a bunch of different clients and, um, that was cool because it was like, I could still be creative and I had now cut back. I was able to monetize my life just with that and then do one bartending shift only, um, a week. So I was never able to completely give up bartending. Um, uh, but I worked for the most incredible boss ever my bartending gig. And then I was doing uh, social media man and still actually do social media management for that boss for, he has two bars. Um, so I was doing all of that and super fun. And then I did that for a little bit and then uh, was still writing, like I said, still writing plays. And then I had been in a relationship for a long time with somebody else. And I should also say that like throughout this whole time in New York, I was in a string of really shitty relationships. Um, and the last one I was with for a long, long time and we'd been together together for five years and I had helped him start a business and realized like, I feel like I'm helping all these people around me and I'm starting to lose sight of what my goal is and where I want to go. And as I started thinking about that, I realized the thing that gave me most, the most joy was, was writing these plays, but I could foresee what my life as a playwright would look like. And it wasn't the life that I envisioned for myself. Also, I was burning out of New York. Um, I felt like I was in a super abusive relationship with New York city in that I loved it and just like kept giving everything I had and it just kept shitting all over me. Um, or it would give me a little bit and just like tease me, like just the tip. And then, you know, so it was really, it was a tumultuous 10 years in some ways, also an amazing 10 years. Yeah, 10 um, years is a long time, dude. I mean, and then to make that pivot, which is, which is kind of like how you wound up in LA, right? Cause you, you chose, you finally made that decision to go full, full speed ahead towards the writing path, right? And you got into yep. grad school at UCLA, correct? Correct. So, yeah. So, um, I think it was my 10th year. And then I realized that I was like, okay, I need to, I need to make, make like, if I'm going to go for this, I need to go for it now because I'm not getting any younger. And so I started researching graduate programs because I, I knew that I wanted to write scripts and I had an, an idea that I wanted to write for film and television, or at least for television. I knew that I was interested in television cause I love TV. Um, but I didn't know how to do it. And I didn't want to just show up as a, you know, 30 something show up in LA and be like, Hey, I'm ready to be somebody's PA. I, you know, it's like, 
I didn't know exactly what that life would look like. So I started researching graduate programs um, and realized that I, I wanted to go to UCLA, but it's a really competitive program. And so I thought, well, I'll just spend a month and do everything I can, put everything, everything I fucking have into this application. And that way, if they don't take me, at least I gave it my all. And I thought it was a, you know, it was a real long shot. And I, I didn't know what was going to happen. And it's not super practical to only apply to one school if you want to go to graduate school. Uh, but this is the only one I wanted to go to. And I think they made a mistake, but they let me in. And then uh, I, I went, I went back to school, and it was an incredible opportunity, and it was an incredible experience, and um, and I just I I worked really hard and wrote a lot, wrote a shit ton, and was able to get a job while I was still in school, um, working for a writer who I'm still working for right now. Well, that's cool. Um, that's good. Yeah. But I mean, at this point, you you have written stuff that has been created and produced by um, stage producers, and you have at this point you've written a short, right? Yeah, and so yeah, that's the most recent thing. And so I um, kind of just I just got out of school last last year, and then I've just been you know just more grinding, uh, just working, 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 and. I was working um, in this office and one of my coworkers wanted, she wants to be a producer and she was looking for material and then she read a pilot that I wrote and then um, we had, I adapted it to a short film version and so that's now getting made, which is really cool and exciting. And what's it called? Um, it's called Rent Controlled and it's based on, it's set in New York City, um, follows these three siblings who uh, are native New Yorkers and like so many native New Yorkers, they've been priced out of their hometown. And so they run across an opportunity to get rent control, which it's not quite the same anywhere else as that I found as it is in New York, but rent control is like winning the lottery. If you get rent control, you always hear about this. People are like living in a two bedroom, you know, paying $400 and their neighbors paying 4,000. So these three siblings come across a situation where they, they can achieve that lottery type situation. Um, but they have to do some pretty crazy things to do it. Uh, is it a comedy? It's comedy. Yeah. I, and I write comedy. Yeah. So yeah, that's your thing, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that and the inspirations that you are gathering to create these pieces of work. I mean, yeah. how do you see how you see the world in life? Like what's funny about it? Uh, to you. what isn't funny about it? I mean, well, that's just a question. Let's, let's go into a little <laughs> bit about like how you see the world then. I mean, the world is absurd, especially right now. Holy fuck. This world is crazy. What do you, what do you find yourself contemplating at this point in time? Like today, where, where'd your thoughts go about the, the general humor in which you encounter every day? I mean, I, I get so much inspiration. Every, I think that's why I'm drawn to cities also, because there's just so many more people. Um, I mean, my, like my humor tends to be pretty dark and also pretty gross. So, you know, I was thinking about all kinds of things today, but, um, I mean, the state of the world is insane. I'm, I'm driven to particularly stories of 
like because I think my background is in playwriting, I'm driven to like really um, character driven pieces. So I'm particularly I find a lot of humor in people and their what makes them tick and what makes them do the things that they do and what makes them say the things that they say. And that's all people. I mean, living in L.A. is just a constant fucking barrage of hilarity and nonsense, um, you know, from people talking about, I don't know, steaming their vaginas to. Uh, Why would you steam your vagina? What does that do for it? Gwyneth Paltrow is telling everybody to steam their vaginas because it's healthy for it. Okay. Just go uh, move to the tropics, dude. It's pretty steamy <laughs> down there. This is a, it's so funny. Rich people are so hilarious. They're, they're, they're paying to do the things that poor people have to live with every day. It's like, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like swampy vagina is like not something that you really need to pay for. But <laughs> she does. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, that so might anyway. be a business niche you want to like get into. It's already, someone already got there first. Well, I mean, just the vagina niche in general, where it's like you got the jazzling, you got uh, swamp vagina, you got, um, what else? You dry vagina, hey, like dry it out after you swamp it. Yeah. Like like some sort of like a dry sauna. (laughs) Dry vagina sauna. There's something there, you're right. I'm going to think about that. Okay. Um, Yeah, I mean, people are just absurd. I just... I, I can't, you know, look at our president is absurd. Our everybody, the hysteria surrounding politics right now is absurd. Everything is absurd to me. It's just like, I think that's pretty though. Cool. And I think that's a common thread that a lot of, from what I'm learning, cause I I'm, I'm hanging out with people who love comedy, appreciate comedy and, yeah. and teach me about comedy. And it's the ability to take like tragedies like some seriously horrible shit going on in the world and trying to bring the humor out of it, like the absurdity of it and how could of it course. get to this point, you know? Yeah. It's, otherwise, it's, yeah. T- it's hard. Okay. It's tremendously difficult to well, deliver I, that kind of content in a way that people laugh. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think, I think at the, at the core of all of that is kind of what we were talking about before is just that authenticity. And I think that, you know, saying, saying the things that people think but don't feel comfortable saying um are really funny sometimes you know it's it's there's just there's so much to be mined just from um the uncomfortable things that we think about and i love playing with that notion of of mining comedy from things that other people find uncomfortable or uh, things that they don't want to talk about or things that they don't want to think about. That's where I want to go. I like that stuff. So I think that's brilliant. And I think yeah. just to give the audience some perspective. So, I mean, at this point you're a writer in LA, mm-hmm. um, you have a short called rent control that, mm-hmm. I mean, I think the audience could also help. You've got like a seed funding thing going on to help this thing get produced. Is that correct? On yeah, where? there's a. It's like a you know like GoFundMe type thing, but it's called Seed and Spark is the name of the platform. And I think I'm not exactly sure what date we're launching it, but it's we're launching it soon because we got to fund this bitch. Got it. And cool. uh, and their daily yeah. income is coming from a job on a television show called yeah, what, Blood I, and 
Blood, Blood and, Treasure. and Treasure. Yeah, I work for CBS currently, and um, I work for um, a showrunner of a show called Blood and Treasure, which is coming out in summer of 2019, and it's kind of like an ad- action adventure um, story in the vein of Indiana Jones. It's super fun, and it's been such an amazing opportunity to one have a job because any job when you want to be a writer is fucking damn near impossible feels like sometimes. And two, to be around so many nice people, I'm like incredibly creative, nice people every single day. Um, I just am so, so lucky and so grateful for that. Um, so that's, that's been really, it's been awesome, but I'm really, it's, I feel like, you know, I guess the analogy that I can use is, I felt for so long like I was kind of, especially in New York, I felt a little bit like I was flailing. And then there was a certain period of time where I was, you know, I was like, I don't, I don't know where I'm putting my energy anymore. And now I feel like I'm kind of at the bottom of the ladder again, but I'm at the ladder that I want to climb. And it's a really empowering feeling. And even, you know, I say this, I was saying this to a friend of mine the other day is that it's, Oh, I was just, you know, we've spoke of it at the reunion too. I think that at a certain point you kind of just can sometimes say like, oh, okay, this is good enough. Or, um, I really need to start getting serious because I'm blank age. And for me, I don't really think that way. And sometimes that feels weird and lonely. And, um, I wonder like what I'm doing because I look around and everybody that's my age has, you know, at least a kid and a career that seems to be going well or money or whatever. And for me, it's like, I may not have these material things, but I'm very stimulated by the things that I want to be doing and, um, excited. And I wake up and I'm excited to go to work and be around creative people. And I wake up and I'm excited to do the things that I love, which is write these stories and tell stories, you know, that I find really fun and funny and interesting. And so whenever I start to feel like, what the fuck, I'm like getting old and I'm still not quite where I want to be. I remember that, you know, we're never really where we want to be. So as long as we're okay with, you know, being in in that moment. Um, And right now I'm really, really grateful for where I am, even though it's maybe not where I'm going to end up, but I feel like I'm definitely on the right track. And I've, I think that's a good way to feel if you've made, if you've pivoted later in your thirties and you're like, this is really, this is really scary. Um, and so I feel like, okay, it's, yeah, it's scary, but I made that choice and I knew that my life wasn't going to be conventional and that's cool. And I like it that way. Yeah, so. I think that's really well said. And I mean, we should almost end on that note, but I do have one more question. Because, yeah. you know, so how are you going to measure success? And because, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you are a success. You mean, you're walking <laughs> your path. You are at least making enough money to survive. So what then is going to be that place in which you look back and say, like, I've made it. Like, I'm successful now. Well, I think, like, for me, you know, storytelling is... um I have a lot of stories from my life and my childhood and, um, and just a ton of, a ton of stuff to mine from and just people around me. I think that 
I will feel like a success when I'm able to see the stories that I want to tell on screen. So I feel, you know, like this short is a great start, but then ideally like, you know, the dream of course is to run your own show, to have something that you've created funded and, and put on, you know, Netflix or any network or that's the dream. And I'm so lucky cause I'm around people right now that that dream has become a reality for them. And so it's, it's really inspiring to talk to them and learn from them and find out luckily the people I'm around are also really nice and generous of spirit. So, you know, I hear the stories about their journey and not just the, the, the glamorous stories, but the, you know, the stories that sound like mine, you know, I had to eat a lot of shit before I got here. So it definitely feels like I'm, I'm in the right place, but I will say that, you know, I will feel extremely happy if one day, you know, I can either write for a show that I just love more than anything, um, or I can create my own show. That would be the dream. Well, I think you are a true inspiration to myself <laughs> and the audience, my friend, because again, you're living it. I know it's hard. I'm in the same zone. I have different aspirations and goals, but I mean, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your okay, story with us thank because you so much. you're beautiful. We love you. Thank oh, you. We lo I love you, Chapin. Thank you so much for having me and for doing this podcast. Podcast is, is an inspiration. I'm so grateful for it. It's beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. It was such a pleasure hearing from Sarah, her story, her struggles, her accomplishments, and just how she's designing the life she's always dreamed of. Please remember to subscribe. Please remember to comment. Please remember to share Misfits and Rejects. And please remember to reach out if you have a story that you want to share with the world or you have somebody who you think story will be inspiring to the Misfits and Rejects out there who are about to start their journey. Please reach out. The link will be in the show notes. And I just want to thank you so much for joining me. It's always a pleasure to deliver this content and hopefully keep inspiring you to move forward, move that needle a little bit closer to the lifestyle you've always wanted. And I'll see you next time. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out and spread your wings and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.